The idea that a child threatens nobody is a perfect myth. If children didn't threaten people, nobody would be aborting their babies. The fact is, every newborn upends and destroys the world they enter. Babies threaten everyone. Who are you and what gives you value? When I was maybe four or five or six years old, I remember telling my father, sometimes I sit around thinking, I'm me, who am I? As a little boy, I was straining even to get outside of myself, to look at, look at myself objectively. I actually was trying to leave my body to, so that I could look at myself objectively because I wanted to know, who am I? What does it mean to exist? I think my dad thoroughly enjoyed the fact that I was asking such a question at a young age and he often repeated it. My dad knew that mankind was asking that same question, who am I? And the Bible itself asks and answers that question over and over again. That is the heart of the scriptures, revealing who God is so that we can know who we are. Psalm 8, 4 says, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? Yet you made him for a little while lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and majesty. If I were to ask you right now to tell me, a little bit about yourself. I don't doubt that you'd have something to share. Maybe you can write down right now in the comments, what is something you love about yourself and what is something you hate about yourself? But if I sat you down and said, let me tell you who I am, most of you would lose interest pretty, pretty quick. Who am I is a question that dominates the thought life of every single human being on planet Earth from sun up to sun down. We even ask it in our dreams And maybe the reason we never get a satisfying answer to the question is because nobody is asking, who are you? When my wife was in middle school, her father gave her some of the best advice I heard given to a middle schooler. He said, don't worry about what other kids are thinking about you because they aren't thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. Everybody wants to know, who am I? Where does my value come from? But here's the trouble. We don't possess the emotional capital to ask, who are you? until our soul is satisfied with the question, an answer to the question, who am I? The humanist who tries to put others first to prove that they are human will inevitably find themselves thinking, I am a very good human, in the middle of listening to their friend. You cannot fake being a secure person. Bravado, glitz, swagger, flexing, piety, serenity, control, etc., all these things are practices that we put on to look secure, But the truth of our insecurity always oozes out. The greater the insecurity, the greater the need for makeup. Unfortunately, oh, sorry, ultimately, you cannot fake your identity. You will act out of what you believe about God, yourself, and the world. It's impossible to do anything else. In the normal course of life, you cannot change your nature. As you were conceived, so you will be. Every human on the quest to discover who I really am in quotations, who I really am, needs to discover how they, are, how they were conceived. What is your DNA? What is the information put in us from the beginning? Where does our value come from? What is the value of a baby? That is an, that's an important question because we've all been babies. Um, and it's, uh, unless you've been born again, the value placed on your conception has not changed. Your self-worth was assigned to you at birth. 
A cynic visited a Christmas service one time, and afterward he approached the pastor in charge of the service, and he said, I get it. Get what? The pastor replied. I get why people love Christmas. Why is that? The pastor rejoined, because a baby threatens no one, so it's silly sentimentality. Silent Night has been popularized in countless Christmas movies and fairy tale-like tellings of the Christmas story. The idea that a child threatens nobody is a perfect myth. If children didn't threaten people, nobody would be aborting their babies. The fact is, every newborn upends and destroys the world they enter. Bedrooms have, been, have to be set aside, vehicles have to become bigger, sleep must be sacrificed, healthcare premiums skyrocket, and that's just the beginning. Earth itself must be reorganized or remade every time a child is born to make room for the new image bearer. Even the negligent father who abandons his child will never escape the change that the conception of the child has made in the world. The baby has come and there is no turning back. The world must make room or be broken. The tumult around childbirth is a sign of the times. We live in a world that desperately needs children and simultaneously seems hostile to them. Something about our world is severely disjointed. Babies threaten human beings, but they also give exceedingly great hope, which is why in places like North Korea, where people are starving to death, people still have children, also because they still have natural desires that cause children to be born. It seems that with most birth comes the belief that this child will be different. Kingdoms rise and fall, and women live and die for the birth of babies. After all, remaking the world may upset some who find themselves comfortable, but for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a remake of the world is their wildest dream come true. Isaiah 9.2 says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And in verse 6 it says, For because of this, uh, for this reason, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. The promise of God throughout the Bible is that a child will be born who will change the world final, finally and fully for the better. As it says in Second Peter 3.13, According to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So, the, every child changes the world. But the Bible is always pointing toward the one who would be born, who would change it fully and finally forever. For we all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of being the ones to fix what's wrong with the world. Every child changes the world in various ways. Both wicked and good men recognize the potential of children. The value placed on a child by mankind varies according to the agendas of men. Some seek hope in a child, some seek power, and some seek hope through power. Humans tend to value other humans according to what that person can do for them. A child who will naturally try to fulfill the expectations placed on him to maintain their value among men. Until they learn that God the Father, who is ultimately responsible for their conception, values them for simply being his child. So what expectations were put on you when you were born? How did your parents react to your conception? More than likely, the answers to these questions are still driving and shaping who you are today. As much as we enjoy the sentimentality of a peaceful Christmas Eve, the original Christmas story includes murder and chaos. 
Matthew 2.13 says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother, and hurry off to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. Herod is going to hunt for the child to kill him. Contrary to the cynic's statement concerning the supposed benign nature of children, Herod, a powerful warlord, felt threatened by a baby, just as many fathers, mothers, and grandparents even feel threatened by an unplanned pregnancy. More thoughtful men might be scared to have children because they fear the responsibility of having children. Other men do not fear responsibility because they don't recognize it at all. They simply impregnate women and move on. Kings and wealthy men of the Bible had multiple wives and dozens of children as a matter of status and wealth. Very few children are born into the world out of genuine love. In fact, no child was born out of pure love, except one, and we will get to him in a minute. Some of the bloodiest scenes in the Bible are the result of brothers born for status rather than for love. There were, however, powerful and wealthy men from the countryside, outside of Herod's realm, who left their home to seek the same baby that Herod sought to kill and honor him with gifts, because while babies threaten us, they also give us exceeding great hope. These men were known as the Magi, men who followed stars, omens, dreams, and visions. Where is the one, they asked, who has been born the king of the Jews? This is what they asked in the court of Herod as they traveled to the holy city uh, or the royal city in search of this king. They said, We have seen a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and the whole of Jerusalem as well. We don't know much about these men, except that they believed in the royalty of Jesus' birth. The Magi found hope in a remade world, while Herod saw only in a would-be Messiah hell for his kingdom. Herod tried to deceive the Magi into revealing the location of the young Messiah, but the Magi also received a dream warning them about Herod's violent intentions, and they slipped out of the country without reporting back to him. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he flew into a towering rage. He dispatched people to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and all its surrounding districts from two years old and under, according to the time the Magi had told him. Matthew 2.16 The cynic said a baby threatens nobody, but I guess he was wrong. Because there was heard a voice in Rama, crying in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, and will not let anyone comfort her, because they are no more. This is Matthew 2.18. Matthew compared the weeping of the grieving mothers left behind from Herod's carnage to the weeping of the barren woman, Rachel. Uh, Rachel is um, one of the famous characters in the Bible. We're going to meet her right here in a minute. It's important to ask ourselves, why do we have children? And instead of why we have, why do we have babies? Because some people love babies, but they're not so keen on children. <laughs> the preference is a problem because all babies become children, just like all children become teenagers and so on. Does the human's value change according to their stage and age? There are so many different reasons that humans have children, and none of them are from pure love. The Rachel that Matthew, Matthew referenced was a beautiful woman adored by her husband, Jacob, but Rachel had no children. Genesis 30, verse 1 through 2 says, When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister, and she said to Jacob, Give me children, or I die. Then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? 
It seems natural enough that a woman would want children. But why does Rachel express such desperation? The Bible says it's because she was jealous of her sister, who had many children. So Rachel wanted children to increase her social status. Is Rachel the only father or mother to conceive a child for personal vanity? Not at all. I, myself, am guilty of having children because of finding um, identity, purpose, value, importance in the fact that I have a lot of kids. It is, without a doubt, a responsibility for all, all human beings to learn to love, including to learn, not least, our own children. There was another woman in the Bible named Hannah. Hannah was so grieved that she could not have children that she wept unceasingly and even stopped eating. Then Elkanon, her husband, it says in 1 Samuel 1, 8, she said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why don't you eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Western women, of course, will take offense at this, some of them will, at Elkanon's statement because they think he's being conceited, thinking like he's just so awesome. That's not what he's saying. They're missing the practical reasons that Hannah wanted a son. Hannah needed someone to take care of her in her old age. Elkanon was not a brood of a man. Elkanon loved his wife and assured her that she didn't have to bear a son to have a secure future. Am I not better to you than ten sons is an assurance of security. One reason Hannah wanted a son was for her security. In the days when most people were farmers in this country, everyone who could would have big families because it helped the economy to help uh, to have free or cheap help on the farm. Many children worked in the fields as young as four years old. Were you or your children born for practical or economic purposes? Parents have always considered the economy when determining the amount of children they would have. Today we ask, can we afford to have more children? And we lump our children in with, with the budget along with smart TVs, cars, college careers, and retirement plans. Did you ever wonder if your parents had buyer's regret when they decided they could afford you? Throughout the entire Bible, barren women appear as central characters. It's as if God is saying that the creation itself is a barren woman longing for a child. The Apostle Paul says as much in his letter to the church in Rome, for creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Romans 8.19 Throughout the scriptures, God compares the nation of Israel to a barren woman longing for the fulfillment of hope. Because of the love, grace, and faithfulness of the God of Abraham, Israel hoped for the end of the barrenness, emptiness, vanity, despair, corruption, and pain. Psalm 113 verses 4 through 9 says, The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high? who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Elizabeth was the wife of a Jewish high priest. Very late in her life, God opened Elizabeth's womb so that she conceived her only child, her first child, very late in life. Elizabeth did not rejoice saying, I get to, I get to give a baby life, but rather she said in, Psalm, in Luke one twenty five, 
This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Elizabeth's response to her unexpected pregnancy was about her, not her baby. Elizabeth said her pregnancy was to take away her her disgrace. But what about the baby? Elizabeth said that God looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace. But what about the baby? What value did she put on the baby? As much as we love to believe in our benevolence, our tenderness, our selflessness, the reality is that we are very mixed bags when it comes to parental motivations. Here are the facts about babies. Babies give us hope. Babies jeopardize our future. Babies come unintentionally. Babies are outside of our control. Babies expose us. Babies reflect us. Babies challenge us. Babies threaten everyone. Our problem is our insecurity. We cannot love until we know that we are loved. Luke 2, 10 through 11 says this, Look, I've got good news for you, news that will make everybody very happy. Today, a Savior was, has been born for you, the Messiah, the Lord. From the parent's perspective, every baby has been born for me. Speaking as a parent, as a parent, every baby that I have had, I have had for me to some degree or another. We need babies. The babies need us. We want babies. But the Messiah Jesus was born for you because the Father, because his Father is 100% secure and in need of nothing. Jesus was not born with mixed motivations. Jesus was conceived in love and is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 God loved and God gave. God the Father does not take but gives. God does not need you. God wants you. God does not use you. God walks with you. When Jesus entered the world, just like every other human being, he remade the world. But unlike the other human beings, Jesus succeeded in being the one that would be different. Every parent hopes that their child will change things, that their child will be kind of better than all the others. Jesus was the one child that was better than all the others, but for the sake of all the others. In him, we live and move and have our being. He is the one through whom God has remade the world and is rescuing the human race. So my question to you today is, are you willing to let Jesus remake your world, to remake your identity, and to call God your Father? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every parent has abused their child because sin is abuse. Sin is treating something that God made with less dignity and honor than God assigned to it. And we have all been treated poorly. We have all treated others poorly. That's why God had to send Jesus, because Jesus doesn't need anything. He has no faults. He has no insecurity. He's not trying to cover anything up. He's not uh, worried that somebody's going to point out a a weakness of his. He has no weakness. He came and suffered for our sake so he could rescue us and make us new and deliver us from all the sins that we have committed against one another. Jesus truly is the greatest gift that was ever given because he is the gift of love. And he loves you even while you are still a sinner. While we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. So my prayer for you 
this year is that you will receive the gift that God has given you. Receive his love. Believe that God loves you as you are and trust him to remake you the way that he intended you to be. Your value comes from him. And if you find your value in something else, you will actually devalue yourself. Your value comes from the fact that God wants you to exist. It's because of his will that you exist and were created. You're not your own idea. You're not your parents' idea. You are God's idea. And if you will let him make you what he wants you to be, you will be satisfied and you will be fulfilled and you will know that you are loved. But if you refuse to trust in his love, you will, cho- you will choose to make your own way and you will only continue to bring destruction because hurt people hurt people. You must become healed today to be set free. Babies really do threaten everyone. And you can either be like Herod, who tried to kill everybody, who tried to remake the world because he thought he was on top. He thought he was king. He thought he was God. Or you can be like the Magi who offer everything to this baby, trusting in his way to remake the world. I was born into a family with 11 siblings, so there were 12 of us all together. My favorite gift under the tree was not the thing, the exact thing I asked for. It was the gift that said, to Carl from mom and dad, and it was something that I had not asked for. It was something that they thought of for me. They were in the store, they saw it, they, it made them think of me, or they were talking together, they observed my life, they thought about me, they thought about my potential, they thought about what they wanted for my life, and they gave something to me out of their own thoughts that they chose to think toward me. That gift spoke the most love to me because gifts are little packages of information about us and to us from people who are above us or from someone who is above us. That's why the person who struggles with pride has a hard time receiving gifts because they don't like to believe that they need anybody. But the but gifts are information about us and to us from people or someone who is above us. And the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, and it's through the Messiah who came for us. The gift under the tree, it's the tree of Calvary that has your name on it from your Father in heaven, is the gift of Jesus, and it's the gift of love. You don't need to be living from a place of insecurity, trying to find value in your status, either through your kids or any other means. Your value comes from the fact that God created you, God likes you, you're God's idea, and God loved you, that even though you've sinned and fallen short of God's glory, He paid the price to make you whole again. So my prayer for you this year is that you will receive the gift that God has left for you under the tree of Calvary. If that's you, if you would like to receive Jesus, I want, you to, I want to ask you to pray with me right now. Just say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Forgive me for all the ways I've tried to heal myself, the ways I've tried to medicate myself, the addictions that I've gotten into, the relationships that I've gotten into, trying to heal the wounds in my soul. I acknowledge, Jesus, that I have sinned in my efforts to try to heal myself. I acknowledge that I've injured other people in my efforts to try to heal myself, and I repent of that. And today I trust in your blood, and I trust in your love to make me new again. I give my life to you. I repent of my sins. Baptize me in the Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name. If that's you, leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to follow up with you and pray with you. There's more for you 
The gift of Jesus never stops giving. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The more you know him, who is the truth, Jesus is the truth. The more you know him, the more freedom you're going to experience. And this is going to be the best Christmas you ever had. God bless you and Merry Christmas.